Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. Aaron Rodgers is a New York Jet, finally and officially. Will this bridge the gap between where the Jets were last year and where they want to go this year? Also, Jimmy Butler and the Heat have the Bucks on the brink. And what is the legacy of Aaron Rodgers look like in Green Bay? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Aaron Rodgers is officially headed to the Big Apple. Multiple reports. Of course, Brian Gutekinds in his presser said the trade was not done yet. But according to multiple reports, the Green Bay Packers are sending Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets for a pick swap this year in the first round. 13 for 15, the 42nd overall pick from the New York Jets and a future conditional pick a second that can become a first-round pick in 2024 if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of snaps or more. There's also day three picks thrown in there as well, a swap this year. John Butchko from Locked On Jets joins me now. And, and John, I know this is more than you thought the Jets should give up in this deal. When you see the final compensation laid out like that, what's your reaction? Um, Aaron Rodgers still be, better be playing at an MVP level. And <laughs> that because they gave up what I think is the type of price you pay for an all-pro guy in his prime. And I think that, you know, you look at what Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show over a month ago, before, you know, a month before, when we all thought the trade was imminent. And mm-hmm. we had to wait a weeks. We so were so much 90- younger than John. Uh, the the days of innocence. He's you know he said he was ninety percent close. He was about ninety percent retired. Then he changed his mind. He decided to come back, which we don't know what's going to happen. You know maybe he's here two years. I don't know. I don't think he'd be there any longer. But it's a tremendous amount to give up for a player you're renting for a one to two years. So I think what you really need for this trade to work out for the Jets, you need him to be play, first of all playing at an MVP level, and this team really needs to go on a, a deep playoff run or two to justify it because. Look, it's going to be a first-round pick unless he suffers a serious injury. You know, the Jets were talking about, and the, or at least the, the reports came out that the Jets were concerned about Rodgers not coming back for a second year, and that's one of the reasons they may have pulled the the first-round pick from their original offer. Well, there's a condition, but it has nothing to do with whether he's going to play two years with the Jets. It has to do with whether he gets enough playing time this year. So I think from that standpoint, it's clear that the Packers, you know, the Packers got closer to what they wanted than the Jets did, and the Jets, Jets gave up a huge package, and I'm not saying the deal's a failure at this point, but I am saying the Jets gave up a lot, so they're going to need Rodgers to produce at a very high level in the limited time he's with New York. What I thought was really surprising, and I want to get your reaction to it, was there had been some discussions and some reporting that the Packers were willing to send some insurance back, whether it was you know a third-round pick in 2025 if Aaron Rodgers only plays one season. And it seemed like the Jets wanted um, performance-based conditions to that first round pick, not just 65%. Like there's a pretty good chance Aaron Rodgers is going to play 65% of snaps. What was your reaction to that part of it, that that future part of it? Because it seems like that's more than what had been reported here. And maybe that's the reason this got across the finish line. I, I hate to say it. I think the Jets blinked. I, I think that, you know, this was a stare down. And I, I think, you know, the Packers maybe not have gotten 100% of what they wanted, but 
they got closer to what they wanted than what the Jets did here. And I, I think that, you know, ultimately my guess is that, you know, it's, it, this was an ownership driven move. Uh, you know, if you followed this whole saga through the off season, it felt very much like this was something Woody Johnson wanted because if, because the Jets really did not give you any pretense that there was another option. You know, if this was a front office type thing, you know, you'd try and build your leverage to the extent you, and I, that's a word that's been used nonstop when we've talked mm -hmm. about these trade yes. leverage. Word I'm sick of, but anyone playing a drinking game with leverage is in the hospital somewhere with liver poisoning. But you would have, you know, you would have at least pretended like, well, maybe we'll we'll talk to Lamar Jackson. You would have been <laughs> more active than Derek. You would have at least given Green Bay the idea that there's some sort of credible plan B, and the Jets never did that. And my educated guess, this is not insider information, but my educated guess, we know we know Woody Johnson has gotten involved in quarterback moves for the past. Tim Tebow in 2012, Brett Favre back in 2008. That was a, yeah. a we know, we know for a fact because Eric Mangini in the years since has said that he Woody Johnson forced this trade on me. I did not want Favre. And I just it just has the feeling one of those things that the owner said, we're getting this guy no matter what. I don't care what the price is. And I think that's ultimately what it came down to. Stay up to date all year on the New York Jets by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Jets on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, the eight-seated heat have pushed the top-seeded Bucks to the brink of elimination. Before we get to that, the Lakers had a shot to put the Grizzlies on the ropes. This NBA playoffs rage on, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be winning the NBA championship. Or you can look at tonight's games as there is only one game with a single digit point spread. FanDuel has the Nuggets favored by nine and a half over the Timberwolves. You can do all of this on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The Los Angeles Lakers had a chance on their home court to pull within a win of advancing on Monday night against John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. The Lakers scrap, and I do mean scrap out, a 117-111 overtime win over the Grizzlies to push a 3-1 lead in this series. And to put it mildly, this was a physical game. The refs were letting both teams quite frankly, beat the crap out of each other. And the Lakers took some time to adjust to this reality, but they played really hard in this very ugly win, fueled by a massive showing from LeBron James. 22 points, a career-high 20 rebounds, seven assists, two blocks, and just one turnover. Austin Reeves had 23 points. D'Angelo Russell, 17, including two critical back-to-back three-pointers. The Lakers, I guarantee, are exhausted after this win, but they get to go to sleep knowing they can close this thing out Wednesday in Memphis. A lot more to get into, so make sure you are subscribing to the Locked on Lakers YouTube channel and you make Locked on Lakers your first listen wherever you get your podcasts. Trailing three games to one in their Western Conference series, the LA Clippers officially ruled out their top two players for game five against the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George will not be on the court as the Clippers try to survive. 
Leonard has not played since game two because of a right knee sprain he suffered in game one. Leonard played through it in game two, but the injury worsened and it will keep him out for a third straight game. George has been out since March 21st with a right knee sprain of his own. In playoff hockey, the Seattle Kraken hosted the Colorado Avalanche, hoping to avoid going back to Denver down 3-1. to one. Well, Colorado, you play silly games, you get silly prizes. That's right. Abso-freaking-lutely proud of the Seattle Kraken for getting a 3-2 overtime win over Colorado. Kraken had the lead, unfortunately. Once again in the series, the Seattle Kraken could not hold their lead. But if you joined me for the live, the live looking, you know that as soon as McCann got hit, that nasty, disgusting hit that Kale McCarr put on Jared McCann, I said, the Seattle Kraken, if they got that dog in them, they will not leave the ice without a win in game four. And that's exactly what the boys did. And on the diamond, the Baltimore Orioles absolutely dominated Chris Sale and the Boston Red Sox. Is it time for Chris to come sail away? Seems like it might be time for Chris Sale to hang him up. The Orioles cook the Red Sox lefty once again. The bullpen holds on, and the Orioles win it 5-4 to four all over the Red Sox. Seven wins in a row for the O's. They're 15-7. and seven. Chris Sale looked awful. I mean, that guy is done. And the Orioles smashed him all night. He was lucky to get three double plays and a lot of good plays from his defense because the Orioles had about a million hard hit balls against Sale. They get five runs against him, and really it should have been more. And they only got the five runs, but the Orioles' bullpen holds on. Felix Bautista was not available on Monday night. That means Yenier Cano comes in for his first Orioles save. And what do you know, he still has not allowed a base runner. The O's win it again. And I'll recap it all coming up on Tuesday's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Here is another story you need to know. The Bucks had it all set up to get back in their Eastern Conference series with the Miami Heat down two games to one. Giannis Antetokounmpo, ever heard of him? He returns in game four. He puts together a triple-double. And with six minutes left in the game, they had a 12-point lead. The Heat closed the game on a 30-13 run. Jimmy Butler finishes with 56 points. And the Heat steal game four, 119-114. From the arena, Wes Goldberg from Locked on Heat joins me now. And, and Wes, what clicked at the end of that game? In, in, in a game that the Bucs really controlled for most of it. Uh, Jimmy Butler clicked, man. I, I I don't know all else to explain it. He had 19 points in that 30 to 13 run that you mentioned. Um, and it wasn't as if Jimmy Butler wasn't having a great game. He scored 22 points in the first quarter. He was doing Jimmy Butler things the entire game, but uh, he wasn't doing 56 points the entire game. And <laughs> and you kind of look down and I'm, I, I, I was so, you know, I'm usually on my computer watching the box score, keeping track of things. It's my job, you know, but like over the last six minutes, I was just enthralled with what was happening. And if you would have asked me how many points Jimmy Butler had at the end of the game, I had no idea. I wasn't looking at the box score. I had no idea how many points he had. I would have said like, I don't know, 44 kind of feels right. And then he had 56 points and you're like, this is incredible what he was able to do in that game. He just took over and uh, I asked Eric Spolster about it after the game. I, I asked him the same thing you just asked me, Peter, like what changed in that first, and he's like, he basically said the first 40 minutes were really frustrating. 
and and the Bucks controlled the game. It was Giannis coming back for the game. It was Brooke Lopez scoring 36 points, both of them imposing their will. The size of Milwaukee was giving the Heat problems. They couldn't score consistently. The Heat couldn't. And all of a sudden, Jimmy Butler just says, you know what, we're not going to go down in this game. We're not going to let this thing be 2-2 going back to Milwaukee where the next two of the three games are at the series. And instead of this being uh, a 2-2 series with Giannis coming back and the Milwaukee Bucks having all the momentum, which would have been the story if if things ended yeah. with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Instead, we're talking about Jimmy Butler scoring 56 points, the tied for the fourth most ever in a playoff game in the NBA in NBA history, uh, and the Heat being up 3-1 against the team that was the betting favorites going into the playoffs to win the entire thing. So uh, amazing, amazing performance. Yeah, as someone born and raised in Milwaukee, um, I would have looked down at the box score and said, I think he has 80 or 90 points. That's how it felt because <laughs> the Bucks had absolutely no answer for him uh, all game. What was What is the difference? Is it just making shots? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it is make or miss league and we hear that all the time. You, you look at what happened in game one, exactly one just weird one-off game where they're just making everything. And then game two, the Milwaukee Bucks came out and they made everything they did and the, the series yeah. just tied one, one. <laughs> and you're just like, I have no idea what to think about this series. All I know is Giannis is out and Giannis playing just 11 minutes in this series until tonight is a big reason why the heat were up two one and now three one after this game. I mean, you can't dismiss that. You can't overlook it. Um, and then in game three, I thought that the Heat at home found something a little bit more sustainable. It kind of felt like they were getting the looks. And, and that, to your point, like the field goal percentage over expectancy was not as outrageous, but they did make shots. Uh, and then in, in this and then in this game, it's just like this crazy Jimmy Butler game. And, and the thing I keep going back to is, you know, at, at first you could say, well, that's a weird one off thing. That's not going to happen. Like, how can the Heat find sustainable offense? Well, I now all that. they have to <laughs> And now, and I was thinking, that, and that, look, that's what we're talking about on Locked on Heat is like, is any of this sustainable? Do the Heat have an actual chance after this? And this is what we kept talking about after game one and even after game three. And now that you're getting closer and closer to the end of the series, sustainability matters less and less, right? Because right. the Heat have to win one, one of the game. next three. That's one, one more Jimmy Butler classic. That's one crazy Max Struess or Duncan Robinson eight point eight, you know, eight three-pointer performance in a game. Like, that's all it takes. So... Now, when it comes to sustainability, that's the, that to me matters materially less than it did even a couple of nights ago after what it was that Jimmy Butler did. Because we were very, very close. We we're six minutes away from the narrative being 2-2 bucks in control. And now it's 3-1 heat. And all they need is that one game. And, and it can come in any manner of ways. And they have three chances to do it. Stay up to date all year on the Miami Heat by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Heat on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, did Aaron Rodgers leave Green Bay in as good a condition as he found it? Aaron Rodgers is no longer the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. It will be Jordan Love. And what struck me about the last couple seasons in Green Bay is even though Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love seem to have a good relationship, Aaron Rodgers talked glowingly about Jordan Love. They seem to truly have the kind of mentor-mentee relationship that Rodgers did not have with Brett Favre. And yet, over and over and over, Rodgers demonstrated how miffed he was that the Packers decided to do to him precisely what they previously decided to do to Brett Favre. You know, the only reason Aaron Rodgers got the opportunity he did to be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. 
It strikes me as strange that Rogers would not recognize the bizarre nature of that frustration. Now, he is an all-time great player, and they thrive on these sorts of chips, on these sorts of slights. But the Packers, with Jordan Love, only did exactly what they did 15 years prior with Aaron Rodgers. The Packers are the Packers. And even though it's a different general manager, Brian Gutekunst was in that front office when Ted Thompson took Aaron Rodgers. And for the Packers, they see Jordan Love every day in practice. Guess what? So does Aaron Rodgers. And for them to be in this position now, they have to understand what Jordan Love is. They would not have decided that all of the drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers, and let's be honest, there is plenty of drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers over the last few seasons from darkness retreats to ayahuasca retreats to I've been immunized to all of the questions around his leadership to not showing up to OTAs and to mini camps to the hissy fit he threw in 2021 almost exclusively because the Packers drafted Jordan Love and he didn't get a contract extension even though he was on a deal that made him the highest paid player in league history when he signed it. That lack of self-awareness is, in a lot of ways, something that endeared Packer fans to Brett Favre because he was just the good old boy. And he would say what was on his mind in much the same way, but it was endearing in a different sort of way for whatever has changed about public perception since Brett Favre left Green Bay. And let's be honest, a lot has changed. For Aaron Rodgers to leave Green Bay the same way he entered it, essentially, and the same way Brett Favre did, despite saying for years he did not want to leave the way Brett Favre did in a contentious way. To do it now is, in some ways, an acceptance from Aaron Rodgers that the goodwill he had built up had dissipated to the point that it actually, to him at least, made more sense to go somewhere else to try and win, whether that was because he was so frustrated with the organization or, and maybe and, because he realized the fans were not on his side the same way that they used to be. And in fact, the fans are not on his side the way that they were with Brett Favre in 2008. When Brett Favre was traded in 2008 to the New York Jets, fans lost their minds. When reports first surfaced that the Packers were fielding trade reports for Aaron Rodgers, most Packer fans didn't blink. They understood. And in fact, some of them had been advocating the year prior, coming off two straight MVPs, that this trade get done, maximize his value because... Three years in a row, the Packers flamed out in the postseason in inglorious fashion, in part, and some might say, I might say, in large part because of Aaron Rodgers. And a lot of fans realized this had taken its course. It is rare that an all-time great player, 
and a rabid fan base come to the conclusion that a mutual decoupling is in order. These breakups tend not to go that smoothly. Aaron Rodgers wanted to go to the New York Jets. There were a lot of fans in Green Bay that were ready for him to go to the New York Jets for as great a player as he has been. And that, unlike his predecessor, will always be a key difference between Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and between Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and the fans. Aaron Rodgers will never be loved and has never been loved by his fans, by Packer fans, the way that Brett Favre was. And this is just one more piece of evidence for that. And of course, you can stay up to date all year on the Green Bay Packers by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Packers on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. And finally, Rob Manfred sees geography as a key factor in what makes a team competitive, or at least that's how it seems. The commissioner apologized to Oakland fans, but said the city of Oakland pointing fingers at A's owner John Fisher is, quote, not fair. Never mind that the A's have gutted their roster for the last few years. Commissioner Manfred believed the new city will do the trick, saying, quote, I think Las Vegas will present a real revenue enhancing opportunity, so I think they're going to have a good product. I think Billy Bean wishes he'd have taken that job in Boston, although weather is much better in Vegas. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, how high does Anthony Richardson go in our Locked On NFL Mock Draft special? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today. <laughs>